Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And a quick peek behind the curtain, Wes actually had to name this podcast on YouTube almost a week ago. So Wes did a very good job of just predicting what was going to happen. Maybe maybe Wes is to blame for the Pistons' struggles because he named this podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? And he named that last week. And I think maybe Wes, you know, spoke that into existence by naming it. But no, we appreciate Wes for always taking care of all of these things. Robin for always taking care of these things. So just a little peek behind the curtain. He did have to name it a week ago. And turns out, Omari, he was spot on with the name on YouTube. Yeah, Wes says on our comments, he tried to be as generic as possible. <laughs> but I think I think that's a cover. I, I, I think we should get hashtag blame Wes trending and hold him accountable for this 14 we blamed no. everybody else. <laughs> Literally everybody else has been blamed. We blamed everybody except Wes. Except Wes. And so I think it's his turn. And you're right. It was very generic. I was looking at it. I was like, man, if they had won both of these games, we still could have like, where do they go from here? This is like super yeah. upbeat. So very well done by Wes. And before we get into all this, Amari, I have one other thing I want to bring up. I posted a picture of my Thanksgiving plate. I missed that. as Because I deleted it. As crazy as Pistons Twitter is about the Pistons and even the Lions on Thanksgiving Day, I was like, guys, you're eight and three. The Lions are still really good. But anyway, people came at me. The food snobs on my timeline were unbelievable. They're like, that looks like prison food. They were sending gifs of burning trash cans. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is insane. So I'm not talking about food anymore because I was just kind of clowning and everybody else taking it way too serious. So here's the thing. There's posting food in general, and then there's posting food on Thanksgiving. (laughs) And probably for the past decade, like Thanksgiving is my favorite Twitter holiday because it's always hilarious because people post photos of their plates and many of them don't look good and they always go viral and people just dump on them. This has been happening for a while. And, you know, I wish you had told me before and you were going to post that photo. I would be like, no, 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 don't do it today. Don't do it on Thanksgiving because people are going to pick those plates apart. I would. I didn't even know if I should post my mac and cheese and look pretty good because I was like, I know it's better looking mac and cheeses on here, but you can't play around on Thanksgiving, man. If it's not like a plus, it's not even. It's not even worth posting. So it's not. That's not a general food thing. That is a Thanksgiving thing, and we have to separate the two. Young OG three one three says, Bryce, you get them collard greens? No, I, I. I don't even know if I've ever had collard greens in my entire life. So they're delicious. I, that, I, so listen, I'm not saying anything. I'm serious. I'm done. Like this has been like a little bit of a a bit. You call me out all the time for these bits that I suppose this was kind of one of them. Some of it. 
I'm done. I will not talk about it again. Don't ask us any more questions. I, I will never tweet about it again. I, it was unbelievable. I was like, why do I have so many notifications? What did I tweet? And there was 10 <laughs> comments, three quote tweets. And I'm like, I ain't even messing with it. I'm just deleting this post right now because I don't want this to ruin the rest of my Thanksgiving. It was insane. I did not expect it. Can you send that photo to me? I never no, saw it. It's gone. Why I want to see it. No, like I don't keep photos on my phone. It's legitimately gone. So unless somebody screenshotted it, it's it's gone. So um, does Randy have it? No, I, I I legit took a picture, posted on <sighs> Twitter, deleted all existence of it. Thirty minutes later, when my notifications were blowing up, so I just had it's to get that out of the way. If you like the food talk on the Pistons Pulse, maybe Omari will do it. Maybe Wes can get in on it. I'm out. But Omari, since our last pod, the Pistons lost 113-136 to the Placers in a game that was probably closer than the actual score. Like right at the end, it got out of hand. Not right at the end, but midway through the fourth. And then a 107-126 loss to the Wizards that wasn't as close as the score. Where are we at with this team? Pistons Twitter was blowing up last night, rightfully so. Like, I understand everybody's frustration. We were kind of joking about how everybody's gotten blamed, Omari. It's real. Like, Troy's getting blamed. Arn Tellum's getting blamed. Gores is getting blamed. Kate Cunningham, of all things that I did not think would happen this year, it would be Kate Cunningham discourse less than 20 games into the year about how he's not that good or he's nowhere near a franchise player or i think koc wrote today that they should consider trading kate cunningham where are you at before we kind of dive into some specifics so full disclosure i was not at i did not watch the friday game in indiana because i was at ford field watching michigan state lose 45-0 to penn state i have more important things to do but uh when i left the arena i think i tweeted this or i'll tell somebody but i left the arena probably with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter um should have left earlier but that's when i left and by the time i got to woodward so it's probably like a 10 minute walk and Maybe I waited five minutes for the queue line and it didn't show. So I was just like, I'll just walk home. Uh, but in that span, like 12, 13 minutes, it went from like a two point deficit to like a 20 point blowout. And I just have no idea how it happened in that short of span of time. And I watched some of it. And then I was like, I've already watched like 12 straight games of this. Of this team just collapsing over like a seven minute stretch and they, and they lose. So I feel like I've seen this game already. So maybe I could just move on to Monday. And then, yeah, the Wizards game, they competed and then. Uh, Kyle Kuzma turning to Paul George in the third quarter and the Pistons could not hit a three. I think they I think they shot like 18% in like the fourth quarter or something. Like it was like really, really bad. Like they just could not hit a shot. And they shot eight for 38, I believe, which is their worst performance of the season and lost to the only other team that's two and 14. And now they have to play the Lakers tomorrow uh, or today for those who are listening to the episode. The, the Lakers who just got blown out and LeBron said this isn't acceptable and probably are going to be somewhat motivated. Yeah, so, you know, a little motivated, I'm sure. Plus, there'll be a lot of Lakers fans in the arena, so, you know, I'm sure that's not going to hurt. <laughs> and, you know, if they lose 15th straight, that is the franchise record. And it's, you know, you just look at worst possible outcomes for this season. I don't think it gets worse than this outcome we're in right now where the team's getting healthier, Livers is back, Burks is back, uh, you know, Bogey's close to being back, Durant's back. And they've had three, their three worst losses of the year in their last four games. Previously, they had not lost by more than 14, and that was against Phoenix. And then they lose to Toronto by like 24. They lose to Indiana by 21, and they lose to the Wizards by 19. And it's just, 
it's like the wheels are coming off, right? Like you want to see a team begin to figure things out and get better. And they've been getting worse week after week. So I think when you get to that point, you begin to question, you know, deeper things. You know, you mentioned, you know, to talk about Kate is your number one or number two, which I think that debate's always kind of been there. But, you know, now it's ramped up, you know, now that he hasn't really been able to turn this thing around single-handedly and not that many players can, but you still typically see the absolute elite guys thrive and whatever scenario and Kate hasn't had that yet. Um, so, I mean, this another things you can point at, you know, I know people are already on the fire Marty train and, you know, my answer to that is that, you know, people wanted Dwayne fired last year. Like at what point is it just, you know, there's just roster flaws, right? Like if coaching isn't making a difference, at what point is it just, you're looking at the roster and analyzing if this team, you know, is ready to compete or if maybe be overestimated how much certain guys would improve. That's not Kate. That's just the roster as a whole. Clearly, they're not getting it done. So I say all that to say things are bad, Bryce. Things are, are really, really bad right now. People are frustrated. And this team really, really, really needs to win. So real quick, something positive. Young OG313 again says, Bryce, you're welcome to the next cookout. I appreciate that. We, we need some positivity. We need some togetherness in Pistons you know, fan base. So I appreciate that. I'm glad that you said it. I was, I told, I text Wes last night and I said, Wes, I can't bite my tongue anymore on the Dwayne Casey thing. I'm saying it tomorrow on the pod. I wanted to tweet it out. We, everybody crushed Dwayne Casey. He sucks. Get him out of here. He's the problem. Now, Monty has only had how many ever games to figure this out. Maybe it wasn't all Dwayne Casey's fault. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not here to hold people accountable and, and receipts and all that. That's not what I'm saying. It's just there was a lot of Mon- or Dwayne Casey is the issue. The issue, Omari, was not, not – there's other things. Dwayne Casey was the issue. And so far, maybe it'll change. Mon- Monty will figure it out and the team will get healthy. And, and that's what we all got to hope for is it's the Orlando Magic-ish turnaround from last season. But – Maybe Dwayne Casey wasn't that big of a problem. I want to give you some stats before we go solely into the Cade Cunningham conversation. Right now, as most people know, Pistons are 30th in winning percentage, 2-15. and 15. They're 27th in points per game, 25th in three-point percentage. They're 5th in offensive rebound, 9th in assists, 29th in turnovers, 29th in steals, 30th in fouls. So the net rating is 28th, 27th on offense, 23rd on defense. They're 8th in pace. Is there anything that stands out to you? I know I kind of always do this with you as I kind of give you those numbers. And in, in the past, it's like, oh, those numbers are, you still would expect them to be 30th, right, Omari? The fact that they're not 30th in every single one of these is kind of crazy. But were there any of those numbers that stood out in terms of three-point percentage, any of that stuff? Because I think that's the one that's standing out to me right now. Yeah, I would say it's kind of similar to when we did this exercise a couple of weeks ago or last week where the numbers seem maybe a little bit better than the record. And, you know, because they've had this bad stretch, that's no longer, things are trending downward, right? You know, so that's kind of my takeaway from that. It's not great. Let's get into the Cade Cunningham stuff. Because, again, I was surprised when this became the conversation today of trade Cade. I don't even want to get into some of the specific comments that have been made to me, but I'm just like, man, I did not see that. Where are you at with Cade Cunningham right now? Just specifically how Cade Cunningham has played and has your thoughts on who he could be for this organization changed since they drafted him, since before the season, and where we are now? Yeah, a lot of people have talked about the efficiency and, you know, of course, he hasn't been quite 
well, I say quite. He hasn't been as efficient as you would want to see for a guy uh, taking the shots that he takes. And people use true shooting. That's a little bit skewed because of free throws that he doesn't get to the line. So, uh, you know, but even like uh, effective field goal percentage over those, whatever else you want to do. Like he hasn't really shot the ball that well. He hasn't finished that well. And he makes his free throws, but he doesn't get to the line a lot either. Uh, so all those things kind of compound. And I think that's a lot of the reason why people may be a little bit lower on him as the number one guy. But, you know, just from watching him, and we've talked about the turnovers, I think he's gotten a little bit better at that in like the last week or so, you know, despite the team losing. But I think more so than that, he's just had to work really hard for a lot of his shots. Like, you know, I noticed just whether it's the mid-range or the shots he takes at the rim, he's always having to pivot or just do something to kind of get himself open. And, uh, you know, I guess some of that's lack of, lack of burst or whatever you want to say, but I think some of it too is just, you know, teams can collapse on him pretty easily. Uh, Isaiah Stewart's kind of gone cold from three in the last couple of weeks. And there's no other big that can remotely space the floor. You know, so I think that's been an issue for Monty. Just he can't do his usual five out. Uh, he probably could play Stu at the five a little bit more. But then I think you give up some stuff from like a rebounding standpoint. And uh, you're giving something up. So we're seeing personnel issues as far as that. But not to get too off topic. It just seems like Case had to work a lot uh, to get his shots and, that's not the key reason why they're they're losing, but when you talk about efficiency, it's just this guy's really, really, really had to work hard. If you look at the minute load and him coming back as well, um, you know, you just wonder what the Pistons could do to make life easier for him, and some of that may come down to Jaden Ivey. Let's go to the shooting, and and I, I want to talk about Jaden Ivey because I actually think he's been really good, but let's talk about the shooting around him. This team is 30th in three-point attempts, Amari, 25th in three-point percentage. During the losing streak, they're 29th in three-point attempts. Actually, the team they play on Wednesday, the Lakers is 30th, 28th in three-point percentage. Listen, guys, I was wrong. I said over the offseason, hey, Monty went out and got this team some floor spacers. Boyan's coming back. Alec Burks is coming back. Monte Morris is a good shooter. Joe Harris can shoot. Like, none of it's worked out. None of it has worked out. Like, I was wrong. I get it. Like, this was a mistake in the offseason, not really going to get someone that could space the floor or be another bucket. Individual shooting percentages, Amari. Cade is at 33%. Stu fell under 40 after last night. Burks is still at 39%, but he's 36% from the field. Like, it just hasn't been efficient. Sasser, and last year, Burks was 41% on almost five attempts. Boyan was 41% on six attempts. Sasser's under 40%. Ivy's at 35. Hayes is at 30. Livers, I know he's just back, is at 27. Actually, Kevin Knox and Stanley Amude are the ones that have shot the ball really well. Even when Joe Harris did play, he wasn't making shots. And then I love Asar Thompson as much as anybody, Amari. He's at 13% from three right now. And air balls won almost every game. So again... The floor spacing just isn't there. Like, teams are just going to let them do it because they don't do it at a high rate anyway, even if the percentage was good. Yeah, I mean, for the first three weeks, the issue was they can hit threes, but they're not taking enough. And now it's they're not taking many or making many. And that's probably compounded into them having three or four worst losses in the last week. Just, you know, you can't hit shots. And maybe some of that, We'll have positive regression. You'll get bogey back. You know, Burks obviously has a very, very established track record of knocking down shots. Sasser's really, really going cold after a pretty encouraging start, but we know he can shoot. Cade, I feel like we know he can shoot, but he still hasn't done it consistently. I to keep the point saying that, but at what yeah. point do I have to change? Yeah. Like, where this is what's hard for me, Omari. Sorry to cut you off. Is where do where does the data point enough? You know what I mean? Like, are we enough games into his career where I can say? 
I was wrong with my pre-draft assessment or do I still need to give him more? I think that's where my struggle is. Is there enough games? As your dad says, this squad is to be determined until they are healthy. I've used that as well, but at some point I'm also like, can I continue to use that? Because maybe Troy should have accounted for this whenever you're talking about 34-year-old Boyan and 32-year-old Burks and those type of things. It's just... I'm finding it hard to even navigate what I should believe and what I shouldn't right now because there's just so many moving parts and I, I want some of it to be real, but and some of it I don't want to be real, I guess, also, but I don't know. And I think part of the issue is just, I think it puts so much pressure on free agency to bring shooting in or the trade market, which they've tried to do with Alec Burks and Boyan. And I mean, they've been hurt. And then you bring in Monte Morris and he's been hurt. And then you bring in Joe Harris and he's not what he was. So you have all this theoretical shooting that hasn't really translated to the floor yet and you know it may still be seen if, if it will i'm sure bogey will come back and um you know sub to predict how guys will look at that age but you know the shot's the last thing to go as they say so you figure he'll still be able to shoot but as far as Cade, it's I, I think that's a fair point you know i think at some point he just has to do it and i like his form i think he shoots the ball well you know especially when he's off the catch uh you know, I think part of the issue in the past was waste stuff creating a lot of threes, and I don't think he's been doing that to the same extent this year. I think he's had a lot more off-ball attempts, and they've fallen some nights and some nights they haven't. So it's tough, right? You know, it's, there's a lot of theoretical stuff that hasn't translated for this team, and you get to the, the one-fourth mark of the season this weekend, and I feel like you are starting to rapidly run out of time to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt on certain things. I thought a team that's lost 14 straight should get it regardless, but the window of time for them to really shift this into a positive d direction. Like at what point does it become too late for that? No. And that's where I'm at. I think we've said yeah. this, even with Troy Weaver in terms of, I think we've kind of said, Hey, we, we see it. We understand it. Give him time. But, and we've always said, but Omari, the time is coming where we're going to find out how good these young guys are that he drafted. And we're going to find out if he can build around them. What I'm having a hard time with is, how much do I critique this offseason because there hasn't been health or was it just a complete mismanagement of everything and he you know he should have foreseen some of this you know it's not our job to foresee these things it is Troy Weaver he gets paid to do that that front office as a whole and looking at it now it should have been able to look at and say hey we probably needed another guy that could really shoot it or another guy that could really score it if we were truly wanting to win because i do believe this came up today as well i think this team wants to win this year there is no reason to tank omari so anybody who's like oh this was a tanky tank for who i do more nba draft coverage than just about anybody there's no, you won't find somebody in the NBA draft world right now that's saying this is the all-star elite. Maybe that guy shows up eventually. Wimby ain't in this draft, Omari, okay? And so there's no reason to tank. This team was trying to win, and I think that's what makes it hard this year is we all know they were trying to win, and it's not happening. In the past, you kind of knew they weren't trying to win a ton of games. I want to address a couple things. Somebody asked about Cade's catch and shoots. I don't have those off the top. I could look them up, but sometimes the internet's a little finicky. So I'm not going to do it right now. Hit me up on Twitter, DM me. I'll give you those numbers. I want to read these real quick to you, Amari. 45% from the field, 48% from three in the first quarter for Cade Cunningham. Second quarter, 46% from the field, 26% from three. Third quarter, 42% from the field, 35% from three. And the fourth quarter, field goal percentage drops to 31%. Three-point percentage drops to 24%. To me, that is either someone that's not used to and ready to take those minutes every game, 
or a guy that needs a little bit more help in the first and second quarter so he can save his legs for the fourth. I don't know what you take away from those stats. You know, I think one thing with Cade is, uh, you know, his conditioning, you know, I think wasn't the best when he was a rookie, and it, there could still be some of that this season. I mean, of course, he's had to carry a huge load. He's played uh, one of the highest minute loads in the NBA thus far, and I think that would wear down a lot of guys. But to see that steep of a decline, to me, could point to conditioning. It could also just point to the fact that uh, – teams know who's going to have the ball late in games, right? So you give Cade extra attention and he's not getting those looks he's getting earlier in game. So it could be a number of things, but I would I would pinpoint maybe some conditioning and then also, you know, teams collapsing on them more as the game goes on, uh, you know, which maybe you have to maximize the lineups to take pressure off of him, whether that's getting Alec Burks more late minutes, which they've tried to do, but he just hasn't been able to hit shots or Jaden Ivey, whoever. Um, they have to make his life a little bit easier, I think, in those moments. Steve T brings up a, a good point. A lot of teams yeah. probably ramp up the double teams and traps and all of that in the fourth quarter. So yeah, and and again, maybe that's a learning curve. And I feel like everybody is, not everybody, the people that are a little bit sour on Cade right now is like almost feel like he should already be ready for this. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a little more comfortable letting him still figure these things out. I don't know that he's taking on this type of workload at this point in his career, I think he's still learning and growing some things. And so I, I'm still willing to be patient with Kate. I've said all along, I thought Cade might be the face of your franchise, but may not be your number one scoring option. And essentially right now you're allowing him or asking him to do all of that. So Sean Corp comes in clutch right now. Cade is shooting 36% on catch and shoot threes this season. So appreciate that, Sean Corp. Detroit Bad Boys, make sure you're reading, listening to all the stuff they do over there. Amari, we got to go to a break. When we come back, let's go ahead and dive into Jaden Ivey. We can get a little more positive with Jaden, I feel like. I'm going to anyway. feel like he's played really well. So we'll dive into that after this short break. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with segment two. We're going to talk about J.I. really quickly. I got to make a quick comparison that I, I thought of towards the end of that segment. Is Cade Cunningham the new Matt Stafford where is he contributing to some the issues for this team? Yes. Is he the main issue? Probably not. There's been a Matt Stafford void in Detroit, and I'm just wondering if Cade is going to step into that now that the Lions are actually good, right? Like maybe the forces are shifting to a different team. So I have to get that off my I chest. Don't, I, don't, I don't know what – I don't understand the reference. Yeah. Explain that a little bit more to me. So Matt Stafford, um, you know, obviously he came in number one pick and, you know, uh, super highly regarded. And there was just a long period of time for the Lions, pretty much his entire career, where the brunt of the blame for all of the Lions issues, right? And, you know, God forbid he like had a late pick in a close game or whatever. Now, you know, the, the sky's falling, which, yes, he did things that added to the issues, but also he had no running game the entire time he was in Detroit. Uh, O-line, very, very inconsistent. And in the few seasons the Lions were good, it was generally more because of their defense than their offense. And I say all that to say uh, Kate Cunningham is in the spotlight, number one pick. He comes in with all of this, and he's not a perfect player, 
But I don't think the issues really come down to him. I think he's dealing with some roster issues and some other things that are holding the team back. And that's where that comparison comes from. Because any Lions fan would, would tell you he's still a controversial figure. There's still Lions fans who probably think Matt Stafford was the problem back then, especially since Jared Goff has been pretty good. But to me, there's a parallel there as far as your number one pick and the spotlight's going to be on you more. So you're, I think your mistakes stand out a lot more when you can point to other things on the roster that are holding the team back. Yeah, and you have to surround him with good talent. It doesn't matter. Like even Luca, even as good as Luca is, you still got to put the right guys around. And I was being serious when I asked because I wasn't here for the Matthew Stafford stuff. I got in at the tail end and when he was with the Rams and they won a Super Bowl and there was like Stafford, Rams, Lions jersey stuff, whatever was going on. I'm so confused. I had no idea what people were doing, but that makes more sense. I get it. Let's talk about J.I. Because here's what I want. I think Jaden Ivey has been awesome. And someone said this the other day as well. Maybe, maybe what Monty Williams did was right. We'll never know the answer to this. We will never know if Jaden Ivey could have come into the season, Omari, and played at the level he's playing at right now. Did starting him on the bench and sending this message or whatever, did it contribute to how he's playing or did it not? I don't have the answer. Some people are going to think it's one way. Some people are going to think it was a waste of time. Did that cost this team some wins? I think it might have. Because if you're getting Jay Nivey in the starting lineup 30 minutes a night, I think maybe you win some of those games earlier in the year. At the end of the day, as Sell says here, Jaden been hooping. That's absolutely correct. Jaden Ivey has been hooping. I love what I see from him. I love the improvement around the rim, the pace he plays with. I even think some of the defensive stuff has gotten better in the last couple of games. I think he's at least trying. The off-the-ball awareness is always going to be a thing. I think Jaden Ivey's really good. I think him and Cade Cunningham together in the backcourt makes a lot of sense. And that is, at the very least, something I'm still excited about. Yeah, and Cade's numbers have improved in the last week with Jaden Ivey uh, next to him. I thought Monty had an interesting quote about this the other day in practice. I asked him, have you seen Jaden Ivey make Cade's life easier in some ways, just being somebody who could take attention off of the defense? And Monty said, in short, I think it's the opposite. I think uh Kate has actually made Jaden Ivey's life <laughs> a lot easier right like you know and I think that's what we're seeing right that there's so much attention on Kate that Ivy has been able to attack you know he's taking defenders off the dribble one-on-one a lot more he's not having teams collapse on them completely like they were doing last season uh he's not being relied on to be the primary initiator so could they lean into his playmaking a little bit more run more pick and rolls for him probably so but I think along with that we are seeing that he's doing more Overall, I think with less responsibility and along with that, he's also just gotten better. Like his finishing has gotten a lot better. It seems like he has much better command of his speed. You know, I think his handle is a little bit tighter. There's a lot of stuff there that uh, is leading to him. I mean, just efficiency wise, he's going from below average to like well above average through the first 17, 18 games or so, which is a really dramatic turnaround. But to me, it's a combination of those things, right? You're playing next to Cade, and that's going to make your life easier when you're a super athletic quick guard who can blow past people one-on-one. But along with that, he's also just gotten better. You know, there was a lot of mistakes he made last season that he just hasn't been doing this year. So Robert Canfield says, need more Ivy on ball, Cade off ball. And then our guy, Sean Corp, biggest question. How do we get more involved in the offense? Does he need the ball in his hands? Or are there ways to treat Cade and Jaden as 1A and 1B when they share the floor? I think they can coexist. I've said 
for a while that I think Jay Nivey can thrive off the ball. You can run him off pin downs, zoom actions, all of that stuff where obviously the ball still gets back to his hands, but you've already created an advantage. The catch and shoot, especially unguarded, have been pretty good. The numbers there, and then we know he can attack those closeouts. But where I do think J.I. can help Cade Omari is let Jaden initiate the offense and go let Cade play off the ball. I'm not willing to go as far as some people where it's like, Cade is a shooting guard. He's not a point guard, play, you know, whatever. But I am willing and absolutely I think it's fair to say take some of that pressure off of Cade. What I would like to see for Cade is a little less pressure offensively so he can be better defensively. We didn't talk about that and we don't have to go into it in detail. But I do think his defense has room to grow and maybe less offensive usage would allow that where he could be better on the defensive end. But Jay Nivey, yes, give him more. Let him initiate things let him be the focal he was so unselfish last night as well there's just little things he does that's super impressive I, I can't be more there, there may not be a player on the roster right now that I'm more I don't, I don't want to say happy that sounds kind of weird but I'm more excited about their growth from last year to this year than Jay Nivey and the raw box score numbers may not show that Omari but I think he's been awesome I think they could get Jaden Ivey more involved in general, whether it's a playmaker, whether it's a, a, a score. His shot volume is actually down a little bit from last season, and that could be part of the reason why his efficiency is going up, right? He's not taking as many bad shots as he did last year. The shot quality is just greater in general. But I think the thing with J.I. is just we saw what he could do last year, right? Like he could play point guard if you need it. He could play off guard if you need it. Um, and I know Monty wants to see a lot more from him defensively, but from the offensive standpoint, he could give you, I think, a lot of the same stuff you get from K, but with the added advantage of just the fact that he could absolutely make defenses collapse, I think, in a way that K does, but, you know, he's not the same driving threat that Ivy is. So, you know, I don't think defenses panic as much when K drives. I think they are very comfortable kind of coll uh, collapsing and then making him make a decision. You can't do that with Ivy because he's so quick. So you can just get Ivy involved as a whole more often. I mean, you mentioned pin downs, all that stuff. Uh, just treat him. About the point now where I say treat him as a 1B, uh, take more off of Cade's plate because clearly the approach so far hasn't worked and see if Ivy's efficiency and if his overall yes. decision-making holds up. No, that's, that's a good point because we've talked about this. A big part of this season is knowing who you have by the end of the year. Yes, there's other things that need to happen. We get that. But at the end of the day, you need to have the most possible information on what is the ceiling for Cade Cunningham? Is he the face of the franchise? Is he a number one option or is he not? Is Jay Nivey a 1B or is he a 2 or is he a 3 option? Is he going to be able to defend? We'll talk about Asar and Jalen Duran here in a little bit as well. That's what you have to find out. And maybe part of that is, yeah, you kind of really threw him to the wolves last year, but Cade wasn't there with him. It would be a little bit more fair to say, all right, with Cade on the floor with you, and if they can ever find some spacing, however they do that, getting healthy, a trade, whatever, Jalen Duran in the middle, what can Jaden Ivey do with the ball? Because you bring up a good point. The efficiency is great right now. You don't want that to fall off if you all of a sudden up his usage. I also want to give these numbers from Monday night's game against the Wizards. Ivy and Cade were 16 to 34 from the field, 12 rebounds, 14 assists, 41 points. Asar and Duran had productive games. Stu Livers, Hayes, Burke, Sasser combined 11 to 41, 14 rebounds, 10 assists, 30 points. I only point that out because it was a little bit strange to me that people were coming after Cade and Ivy last night and today 
as opposed to like the pieces around them. Like I thought those two have looked good together and have played well. And I realized there was some late turnovers against the Pacers. Maybe it's just the fourth quarter thing. I just thought it was a, it was it was interesting to me that that's where people kind of went. Like these two guys aren't good enough. They're not going to be, you know, maybe they still aren't, but I didn't think the last couple of games were the games to really show that. Cade and Ivy are the only guys on this team who could create a bucket. You know, I think that's been pretty thoroughly proven thus far. Uh, you have guys who may be able to get there. Asar may be able to get there. Sasser may be able to get there, but they're not there yet. And I, when you take one of Cade or Ivy off of the floor, I feel like that's when things really begin to kind of grind to a halt because now you're putting playmaking pressure on other guys who aren't really quite there yet. You know, there's been talk about Asar, you know, maybe doing some primary reps. I don't think he's there yet. You know, they don't respect the shot, you know, for good reason. And the handle's not quite there. Line drives, he's perfectly fine. Once you have to kind of wiggle and maneuver a little bit, it tends to kind of fall apart for him. Um, and not to go back to Bogey being the savior here, but I really do think just having a third point of attack that defense is out to account for. Uh, let's say you start Bogey. Let's say you start Bogey, uh, Cade, Ivy, Asar, and Duran. So you have three offensive threats on the floor that have to be accounted for at all times. Now you can't collapse on K to the same extent, right? So, you know, not to get too off topic, but I just say that to say, I think K and Ivy have had to carry a lot. And I think their miscues stand out more because of that, but they got no support at all last night. I mean, you shoot eight of 38 from three, you're not going to win too many games, especially if you've slipped defensively the way the Pistons have. And at the end of the day, people are right. Like those two need to be doing that. You know, they were very high draft picks. They're kind of the guys that you probably believe in the most, at least offensively, what kind of options they can be. Asar has been incredible defensively, but you pointed, we talked about the three point shooting, the turn, like that is one thing that hasn't been talked about enough. I wish I had the exact stat from recording with Sam the other night, but essentially Asar and Duran are the only guys with the low usages they have with as high turnover percentages they had. So Cade gets crushed rightfully so for his turnovers, Amari. Absolutely. He should get crushed for his turnovers, especially some of the bad ones. Jay Nivey gets crushed for his turnovers. I get it. Asar and Duran can't be guys turning the ball over as much as they are right now. Like not with the usage, not the archetype of player that Jalen Duran and Asar Thompson are right. Those guys are essentially play finishers. That's all they are really capable of right now. I'm not saying they can't grow and get better and all of that. Right now, their catch close to the rim or getting downhill to the rim and finishing, I've been a little bit disappointed with Asar in terms of that. Just offensively, nothing defensively, but just with some of the turnovers. That's that's a big thing with me with those two is they got to handle the ball. That You can't be non-shooters and turn the ball over as much as those guys do. And I think they've been maybe stretched as playmakers a little bit sure. more. And going back to the point about Bogey, uh, just being that third guy, I think for Monty's offense to work, you really do need multiple guys who can get a bucket. Uh, you look at his time in Phoenix, you had Cameron Johnson, you had uh, Michael Bridges, you had Chris Paul, and you had Devin Booker. And all those guys can get buckets. And DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's still good in the post. He had five guys who could really – generate offense and the Pistons really right now they have two in the starting lineup they really have two Stu can knock down open threes but he's not there yet Darren like he's a great vertical threat but you're probably not gonna ask him to do a lot more than that you know outside of just whatever he can do with his verticality uh, it just seems like guys are being stressed and I'll point out in that first week a really big difference is that Alec Burks was on on fire on fire they were helping off a of Cade uh, you know 
Burks was, you know, you could not leave him, him open because he was going to hit everything. And they haven't had that either. So I really do think when Bogey comes back, you know, I'm not saying they're going to become a 500 team, but they've kind of gotten away from 0.5, I think, you know, just because yes. the offense has sagged and, you know, like guys are holding the ball a, a lot. Like you need shooting to make those quick decisions or else you're too easy to defend and they haven't had that. So we're just seeing a lot of stuff compound. I'm saying compound a lot, but that's what happens when you lose 14 straight games. You're seeing the same reoccurring issues and, you know, it forces you to analyze maybe some of the knock-on effects from that. So their shooting is just hurting everything right now. No, that that's the team in a nutshell to me, Omari. Yeah. It's like one thing just compounds and they don't shoot threes very well. Well, but they also don't get to the free throw line and then they foul a lot and they turn it over a lot and they don't force steals. And so like all of those things compound on one another. And then even at the end of games, it's the same thing. They get it within three, then they turn it over. And then they also give up an offensive rebound, even if they get a stop. The other night was the epitome of the Pistons season to me. Sasser and Stu, I think, combined to get a steal. And then Sasser went down three on one and ended up not even getting a shot. And the other team got a transition the other way. Now credit for Killian Hayes. He continued to play and actually got a block on that. But it was like, this is exactly what this team does. It looks like they're going to get something positive, and then they turn it over. Or they decide they're not going to defensive rebound late in the fourth. Or Cade is tired, he's been a bucket all game, and then he's not able to do it at the end. It just seems like one thing after another compounds. They just haven't figured out how to win. And I don't know what's going to change that. We had a question in here. I'm, I'm trying to hold off on the stew conversation till after we go to the break. James Willis says, could it be the guys are having a hard time gelling together? Like, yeah, that's, I know that's not one that the fan base wants to hear, but you have a new coach implementing new systems. Um, I think we also had a question about Dan Burke. Do you want to address that real quick? I know you tweeted about that. You may not have anything crazy, but just he's away from the team with personal issues right now. Yeah, that's all it is. I really have nothing else to add. Uh, Monty wouldn't dive into it. So Yeah, and we can leave it alone, but it just that is another component to this is, you know, one thing I was highest on this offseason, Omari, was bringing in somebody with that kind of defensive acumen. So there are moving parts here with injuries and everything else. Not an excuse, but it does take times for guys to gel and figure it out. And especially this offense. Somebody asked me, I don't feel like we have seen the 0.5 offense recently, Omari. It seems like it's gone into a little bit more ISO-E, ball screen. Like We just haven't seen those possessions where the ball really pops and flows from one guy to the next. And I think scheme probably isn't as obvious in basketball as it is in like football where you need some very specific personnel to make things happen. But, you know, for Monty's scheme, I mean, we have a lot of evidence. He likes to go five out. He likes he really values floor spacing. Uh, people ask, like, why is he giving Isaiah Livers so many minutes? Because Isaiah Livers can shoot, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he can defend. But just having a guy that can shoot, you know, makes a big difference. And he hasn't been, hit, been hitting shots, but. You know, I think the fact that he immediately got that big of a role just speaks to how shooting deprived this roster has been in some ways, not just accuracy wise, but just guys who are just instant shooters going to get shots up. Right. Uh, We've talked in the past with Monty about, you know, guys hesitating to shoot. And, you know, like Kate may generate a good look and you have that split second to get a shot up and the guy hesitates. And now you're giving the ball back and now you have to create probably a worse look. Livers is one of the few guys on the team who's just automatic. I'm going to shoot. And I think Monty really values that. He's going to allow him to get back into a rhythm so that things can open up a little bit more. Uh, This team just has not had the personnel to run Monty's scheme. They haven't had the shooting. Uh, You have one big man who could shoot, and he hasn't done that as well 
in recent weeks. And you also give up some stuff playing the five. You have Bagley endurance or roster wise. You have guys you probably want to play there a little bit more. Uh, Asar has been great. You know, he's been starting. He's good, but he's not a shooter by any means at this stage in his career. Uh, you just look at their draft history as a whole. Uh, they haven't really drafted a lot of guys who are like knockdown shooters. It's just Isaiah Livers and Sadiq Bey. Uh, who <laughs> Sadiq, oh, Sadiq oh, oh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, Sadiq, yeah. But but you look at what this team struggles with and they just need, you know, they need guys who are just going to go out there and say, I'm just going to go get a bucket. And they haven't had that. And I think Monty's scheme has just suffered because you need guys who can do that. Listen, I, I've been one to say, like, let's not judge like these individual moves by themselves. I think it's hard to look at that one and be like that. It was a mistake. Whether whether you, we'll see what Sadiq gets paid this summer, but at the end of the day, you had to get something other than James. Wise. I know James Wiseman played last night. I actually think Marvin Bagley's been playing really well. I, I would be fine if Marvin Bagley just continued to get those minutes. I didn't personally understand that. I'm also not there every day. Maybe Monty felt like he needed to give Wiseman kind of throw him a bone just to see. I really like Marvin Bagley. Again, I don't want to judge every individual move on its own. But that one does not look good right now, depending on what the contract ends up being. But at the end of the day, I almost would have rather just how many ever seconds ended up in that trade. I almost would rather have had those than James Wiseman. And obviously, Sadiq seems like a guy coming off the bench that would be. Now, now in fairness, I don't want us to go back and in hindsight's 2020. We all realized like that Sadiq wasn't going to become Chris Middleton like we thought at many thought after his rookie year. And so like Sadiq would be a fine role player on this team. Let's not act like he's an all-star, but yes, he would fit some of and fill some of the voids this team is currently missing. In Atlanta, he gets to fill the role that he's probably best suited for. And if he could have played that in Detroit, yeah, that looks like somebody you could use. And real quick here, Mar, YouTube user, 20 minutes behind, but has Livers been as bad as I think he has? I don't think Isaiah Livers has been good so far. It's only been four games or so, Amari, is that right? But to your he point, came back, yeah, he came back, I think, the game after Toronto. So three yeah. games. He he's three taking games. five threes a game. He's only shooting 27%. So it's probably fair to give him a larger sample to see if he can actually shoot it. I think the idea of who Isaiah Livers is as a player is very, very, very enticing. We just have to see the actuality of that on the floor. No doubt. We have 20 minutes left. We will go into segment three, and then we will open the door to some other topics, starting with Isaiah Stewart. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with segment three. I think other than Cade, I, th- I feel like Isaiah Stewart has been like the other lightning rod. And, you know, I get I get why, but at the same time, you know, I also, you know, saw him do a great job defensively on Kuzma last night, and when he rested in the third, Kuzma began to go off. So where are you at with Isaiah Stewart this season? He hasn't shot the bar particularly well. Uh, you know, if we talk about his fit at the four or five, and, uh, you know, there's probably some things he could still get better at, but are you as hard on them as like some people in the fan base have been? Yeah, so let's go through it. First, Pistons talk. He said, hey, fella, how's it going? 
Appreciate you tuning in. Um, supporter, make sure you guys are checking that out as well. Rashad says, Stu is a backup power forward center. The quicker the front office figures it out, the better. 14 Grit says, are we missing a four? Seems like one, two, three, and five look good. And then YouTube user says, how many more games does it take to determination on the Stu at the four experiment? So Wes texted me. He, he got this in the outline. Wes wanted us to get to this. And listen, I don't know where I'm at on the shot. The percentage actually isn't bad right? Like he, he's shooting decent from three. It wasn't good last night. And obviously that's the game. Like the, the, the fan base and everybody put so much on that game. I understand why it's kind of being really zoomed in on. I think the shot's going to be fine. I don't know if he ever shoots it well enough to truly be respected. I think the bigger worry for me, Amari, is I thought we would see some growth with his drives, how often he was able to drive the ball. And he really hasn't done that. He's 11th on this team in drives per game, 8th in field goal percentage. He's 3rd in turnover percentage on drives and 11th in assist percentage. I say all that to say is, yes, he's got to be able to shoot it, but he also has to be able to attack a closeout or, or break down the defense. When If he does get a hard closeout, he hasn't really shown an ability to do that. We've given him his props for the flashes of this stuff. I still think... Isaiah Stewart is a good basketball player. I think Isaiah Stewart is a player that can help you win playoff games. I think he's a player that can help you win regular season games. I think Isaiah Stewart is a third big, and whether you think he's a 4-5 or a 5-4, I don't care. Like That doesn't matter to me. I think he's a third big, and right now he's playing one spot above probably where he should be. And the shooting golden code, you know, I think really accentuates that a little bit more. Uh, but also him being a reluctant shooter, I think, is why Livers has gotten such a big role immediately because Monty just needs somebody who's just going to unleash those shots because those windows are so small. Uh, you know, I think Isaiah does get judged a lot for what he doesn't do. But I think, um, you know, on, on the roster that just has deficiencies and you have somebody at the floor who, you know, is going cold a little bit uh, as a shooter and, you know, maybe he'll be more effective at the five in some ways. I think it just makes those issues look worse than they actually are. Cause I really did think he did a great job on uh, Kyle Kuzma last night. But to your point about Isaiah Stewart's playmaking, I feel like we saw uh, like a good amount of that in like the first three or four games. Like you even saw like some hints of like a two man game with him and Duran bring a bit and that's completely going away. You know, Duran obviously missed a lot of time and maybe they just have to get back into that rhythm. But like, if you asked me after the first week, and maybe you did, I would have said Isaiah Stewart looks really improved as a playmaker, and we just haven't really seen that since. No, I think we were kind of singing his praises after the first week, and then it became like, oh, Isaiah Stewart is fine, and people were kind of mad at us for not critiquing. Like, at this point, it he just it hasn't continued to grow the way you needed to see it grow. And that's where I'm at. We just talked about it with Sadiq Bay. He went to Atlanta and all of a sudden he was in a role that really made sense for him. In Detroit, they were almost asking him to be a number two option. That's not Sadiq Bay. With Isaiah Stewart, I'm cool with them trying him out at the four. Like I understood, like I've been okay with that. I'm okay with them trying to stretch his range out to the three point line. But eventually when you have the right pieces, as Rube brings up here, wonder if Boyan takes Stewart's spot in the lineup. When you have the guys to do it, move him to the bench. And I think he'll, I truly think Isaiah Stewart will thrive as the third big on this team when that, when that time comes. And I will stand by. I think in a Sar Boyan Duran front court, I guess, or whatever you want to say, it, along with Caden Ivy, I think it makes sense. I think it works. And that's what I want to see as soon as Boyan is healthy enough to make that happen. 
And what's fun about that lineup is that Asar is essentially the four. Um, you know, we've seen him with the rebounds and, you know, the weak side blacks, and he can he can probably do it, right? You know, so I do wonder if we'll see things trend that way um, sooner rather than later. Uh, what have you seen from Jalen Duran? Uh, you know, just in his return? I know he's been kind of up and down, but, you know, I know a lot of that start early on with him too was just he was on fire defensively. And, you know, I got you would hope his ankles aren't so bothering him even after he got shut down for like a week, a week and a half or so. But have you seen that, that, that same verb since he came back? I, I still think he looks a little bit slow. Like he was, there was even something in his gait in the game on Monday that made me a little bit nervous. I thought he was limping a little bit, but no, I, Listen, I think Jalen is a walking double-double right now. He's going to flirt with the the 12 and 12 that you predicted and I had somebody come at me like, "Oh, you were, you know, too low on him. You said he was going to play in the G League." Yes, yes, that was a mistake. And they're like, "He's averaging 12 and 12." I'm like, "Actually, he's not averaging 12 rebounds right now. He may he may be now. I don't know after after last night's game. I know it went below there for a second. Let me look at it. Yeah, he's at 11.2. It's hard to average 12 rebounds for a whole season. So, but He's going to flirt right there. He's very productive. I still have some qualms with some things, Amari. Like, I still think his positioning defensively could use some work. I will tell you this. Some of the footwork stuff is really impressive. He has won a game where I'm like, that is nice. You can tell he's working with whoever on some of that footwork stuff. He has, like, this reverse pivot he's gone to a couple different times. I'm still very high on Jalen Duran. Again, this is why I have such a hard time with where this team is at right now, Amari. I think Caden Ivey look like a really good young backcourt. I think Aksar is going to be an all-NBA defensive wing very early in his career, and I still think some offensive game will come. And I think Jalen Duren is a walking double-double, rim threat, all of that stuff. It's like I still find myself being excited about those four guys. And so it's really like how do you fill in the other spots? How do you turn it practically into winning games and being successful now? No doubt. I do want to say one thing about Isaiah Stewart, which I do think, well, I'm going to say I think, but just his value to the team kind of going beyond the on-court value. He is a leader for this team, too, and I do wonder if they were to bench him, if he would lose maybe a little bit of that uh, standing you need to earn that locker room respect. Because he's the one that organized their team meeting last week. You know, he was responsible for that. Monty, you know, he came in and he's had so much good things to say about just Isaiah Stewart, even during the, the, the losing streak, uh, just being, you know, the guy who's keeping everybody's heads up, you know, keeping everybody locked in. And, you know, I wonder if you lose some of that, you know, if you bring him off of the bench. And I wonder if that's, you know, on, on paper, like maybe there's some benefit there. But I do wonder if just from a, a mental aspect, if that would be good for the team. And you've been in locker rooms, Bryce. You could probably speak to that better than, than me. But that is something I've thought about because Isaiah Stewart really has been that guy for this team. Yeah, it's interesting. I wish I could give some better perspective on it. I've never played at that level, obviously. And the level I did play at, our best player was our leader. So I've spoke on this in general where this stuff is real. Those type of vibes and those type of guys that you're like, I can really trust this dude. That stuff truly does matter. Or at least it did to me. Maybe I was isolated in this, but there were guys on my teams where I looked across them in the locker room and I could look at their face and just seeing how locked in they were, how focused they were, how serious they were, and knowing how talented they were gave me confidence to go out and play whoever the opponent was. And that happened within games as well. But you do have to have those guys that hold you accountable. Like I was kind of expecting Stu to go crazy last night and maybe he's been asked not to do it out in public, 
there's been some locker room altercations that I've been a part of even. And I realize I'm very calm demeanored where I called people out because I felt like it was the right thing to do, but that stuff happens in the locker room. And so I still think Stu could do it coming off the bench. I hope he's doing those things. I, I remember just thinking during last night's game, part of why that contract made more sense to me. And I believe you as well is we believed in who Stu was and kind of that aspect of what he brings the Pistons he has to bring that in these type of situations. And I know Monty came out with some quotes today at practice about how kind of spirited practice was today. And so maybe, I don't know what we'll see the results. We'll find out. They have back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see if maybe that starts to translate because that was probably the most frustrating thing in the Wizards game is like just kind of that competitive spirit didn't really shine through the way you would want in that situation. Here's a, th- a thought experiment. Uh, I was, okay, so Bogey's going to come back at some point. Knock on wood, because it seems like horrible luck. But Bogey's going to come back. Uh, comments in the past from Monty have implied that when Bogey comes back, Asar Thompson could lose his starting job, but he started more so out of circumstance than him, I guess, quote-unquote, earning the job. Can a Cade, Ivy, Bogey, Stu, Duran lineup thrive, or do you still think that maybe swapping Stu for Asar in that type of lineup would be better overall? I'm okay with it. I just would still do the other lineup. Like if that's what Monty ran out, I have a feeling most of the fan base would be up in arms and very frustrated. I get it because Asar has been really good. I wouldn't personally do it, but it's not a hill that I'm willing to die on. Like, oh my gosh, this is the worst decision ever. What I don't love about that lineup is who's going to defend the matchups that Asar is taking right now, which to my earlier point, if Boyan comes on and really takes an offensive load, you put that on Cade Cunningham and say, Cade, okay, we're giving you a little bit of freedom offensively. We're giving some of that to Boyan. Now you really have to go defend. Or maybe it's Jay Nivey. I personally would keep Asar in the starting lineup for that reason. Mm. My thing with that starting lineup, I've always said you can play two non-shooters, right? So you would still have Asar and Jalen Duran as complete non-shooters in that starting lineup as long as they're really good play finishers, which both of those guys are, and good passers. That's where Duran and Asar would have to be really good in that starting lineup still, is passing the ball, moving the ball, and all of that. I I still want to see it, though. I want to see that starting lineup. So Rashad says, who's going to rebound? You're putting a lot of pressure on Asar Thompson, but, I mean, we give him a lot of love with his rookie season for averaging almost 10 rebounds. He's got to be a guy that continues to do that, and yet again, I think it puts a little bit of pressure on Cade and Ivy to rebound the ball as well. I have a point in favor of Stu over Asar. And uh, Chuck here says, uh, did Monty really say that? Yeah, I mean, that was the plan at the beginning of the season. Uh, You know, stuff to say if that'll change or not. But I say that more so to say that it's a real possibility. I don't think Monty said that, you know, with the expectation of, you know, but we're going to completely abandon that plan. Uh, If you start Asar and Duran together, you're not getting any outside shooting from either of them. Whereas with Stu, he goes from your third best shooter to your fourth best shooter in that lineup. Uh, if he does start at the four when Bogey comes back and now you're not going five out, but you have four guys on the floor who can all space the floor. Cause Isaiah Stewart can hit threes, but he falls a little bit down the pecking order. And I think it's not as glaring. Does that shooting offset maybe what you lose defensively with Asar? Yeah. I mean, that's the play, right? Is ideally, theoretically you have Boyan and Stu now to space the floor. And so like, that's what you could do. So I, again, that's why I won't die on the hill of, I think it should be a star, a star stays. 
I think it's still ultimately what I see people's roles on this team. And I still stay with, I think Stu is ultimately the third big off the bench. And I don't, this sounds bad, but like the quicker you get him into that role, probably the better. Stu's one of those guys. I think we've seen enough to kind of have an idea who he is. So let's put him in a role where he can be his best. And I think that's one reason why this team is struggling right now, especially early. Guys were in roles they weren't equipped for, especially, and this isn't like Killian Hayes hate, but when Killian Hayes was starting, everybody in that starting lineup was way in over their head in terms of their offensive role, other than Cade. Cade was the dude. Who's the number two scoring option in the Hayes, Asar, Stu, Duran starting lineup? I have no idea. Whoever it is, yeah. <laughs> it's way, way, oh, at least two spots, if not three spots over their head. And so that's why I, I, I just like to pencil guys into kind of what I foresee their role being. And so that would make a little bit more sense to me because even with Cade, Ivy, Boyan, Duran, Asar's probably the fifth option offensively, and that's probably where he should be. I agree. And that's, you know, I thought Isaiah Livers said something interesting last night where, like, where's the team coming up short? And he said, Rose, you know, he said a lot, a lot of things, but part of it was just guys not necessarily filling the roles that they need to fill. And I just think that's where a lot of the breakdown has, has been. You know, you're just asking guys to do too much. Um, you know, you don't have Monse to share the playmaking load. You're not Bobby to, ha- to handle some of the scoring load. And without, I think, that veteran backbone that you're essentially playing a lot of, you know, people between the age of 20 and 24, uh, you know, that's you're playing with fire doing that. You look across the league, the Spurs are in the same boat and, you know, people are like fire Monty. Would you be like fire pop? Because the Spurs are not that much better. You know, they you know, they've also had some some bad losing streaks and they have Wimby. They have Wimby. It's because they're they making have- bad lineup decisions, though, Omari. They're playing Jeremy Sohan at the point guard when they should just play Trey Jones and actually be better. So like it's oh, but that's fair. OK, that's fair. But I mean, my point is it's similar to what we saw from the Pistons to start yeah. the season. Yeah. And they've had some injuries. Yeah, they've had some injuries. But who's but who else do they have as like a ball handler besides trade trade Jones? I mean, I could just look up their roster real quick. Nobody. Too. That's like, that's what's great. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so Sohan is like you know, even if he's more of a backup point guard in that lineup, you're still giving something up because Trey Jones is uh, one of the more efficient passers in the league. So again, you're you're putting guys in rows that they don't necessarily belong yes. in. Maybe they could be in that row two, three, four years down the road, but they're biting off too much uh, at this point. And that affects everybody. Like you mentioned that that Killian Asar, you know, Stu Duran lineup, which I mean, I think we could have predicted that they're gonna have some issues scoring the ball. Like that's pretty obvious. But again, you know, it's still only Cade and Ivy in that lineup right now. And they're just being asked to do too much. I just think it's still a lot of what the issue was last season where they're just getting whooped by, you know, more experienced teams, teams that have guys who have kind of been through it and have that mental fortitude to play off 48 minutes and aren't going to let mistakes stack up. Uh, you know, so again, I'm not saying that to say I think Bogey's the savior for this season, but I think Bogey coming back will allow Monty to lean into a scheme more and encourage that ball movement because you have shooters who can really punish opposing defenses for leaving them open. And that's, again, my biggest mistake from the offseason was 34-year-old Boyan, 32-year-old Alec Burks as Petey Mack. Ask Alec Burks is having a hard time making shots. Any concerns there? Yeah, I definitely have concerns that he's 32 and is coming off a career year and probably was going to regress. And Boyan's doing the same thing. So even when Boyan comes back, I'm nervous that he's going to regress based off what we saw. And so I'm very nervous. Again, 
I will take my own L here. I didn't foresee this being the major issue, and it is. It was a miscalculation not to add more scoring, shooting, all of that. Because as you just said, Omari, even in the current starting lineup, Caden Ivey are your one and two. Let's just say everybody believes that they're actually a one and two. Asar, Stu, and Duran aren't a third option on a good team, not a team that's going to win a lot of games or even an average amount of games. They're not ready for that. And so, like, it's just, it's not there. Mr. Jones says, let's kind of finish off with this. We lost by 20 to the Wizards. We're still talking about lineups with players on this roster. That's a mistake. I think the point there goes to what Doug McMiniman says. Do you think the trade is in the future? Like, I don't think we're seeing anything till December 15th. I know that's when a lot of guys around the league actually become available. Then January 15th, all of that. Do you think there is a trade coming? Like, what is the move? Do you th- Let me ask you this. Should a trade be coming, Amari, health or not for Boyan and Monte Morris? I think so. Uh, like, there's no reason to just let those guys go into free agency and then you lose them for nothing. Like, you should absolutely be looking to flip those guys at the deadline. Uh, I don't think we said that at the, be- at the beginning of the year, but the difference was if you're actually really competing, then, you know, maybe you keep them just to kind of keep things intact in because at this point, maybe that cap space and just actually having a real run is more valuable than, you know, getting whatever asset you could fetch. But we're past that point. They lost 14 straight. You know, I think you just need to be a little bit more asset asset minded than maybe you plan to be. And to your trade question, I would expect they would make a, a, a trade, like who that guy is. Like, it's too early to say, but I would expect them to make a trade this season. Like, they make trades every year, so that's not really that hot of a take. But especially this season, I think there's more of a need to find a way to upgrade this roster than there's been in the past. And with all these vets on expiring contracts, they're just an excellent position to make a trade. Like they're really well positioned to do it. And we'll see what happens as we get closer to the trade deadline. And maybe some teams decide to, uh, well, not decide to get more frantic, but they will get more frantic and some more guys will become available. Yeah. And that's, I, I'm with you. Like, I think you can still, no matter what happens with Boyan and Monty and all of that stuff, there is a move to be made at least for the end of the season. And and maybe you can make it before the deadline, maybe by January 15th, when essentially the whole league is available for trades, you can make the move or maybe even sooner and build some positive momentum throughout the final part of the year. Like what we saw from the Orlando magic last year, go into the off season, make the moves that are necessary. Again, we didn't get into it. If you think that's Troy Weaver, great. If you don't, I get if you're starting to question whether he's the guy to make those decisions or not. But I think that's the play is we see what this team needs now, Amari. We've seen it. Now they have to go out and make the move to help fix that so we can get the best possible evaluation of Cade Cunningham, Jay Navi, Asar, and Jalen Duran. And that's what really, really needs to happen Doug here says, you guys were really prepared tonight. Thanks for a great episode. We just have to be patient. Sigh. Yeah, I mean, guys, just another peek behind the curtain. We had five pages of notes. Like, we take the Google Doc very serious. Wes puts in all the topics. We fill it out. We have stats. Like, we didn't get to half of what we prepared for. I can tell you that. We could go for another hour. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but we do take this very serious. Even for a 2-15 and team or whatever they are, we take this very serious. And the funny thing is, this has been our best live episode yeah. of the season. We, I was just going to say that. We cracked 100. We, we have not cracked 100 yet. We haven't cracked 100 in a long time. So I was, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm not quite the fan that a lot of people are because the podcast started my fandom and it's only been a few years. But when the Pistons lose like last night, I'm going, man, 
are they just going to shut down the pod? Are people just going to stop listening to us? And I'm not going to have the podcast anymore to come on and talk. And then we do this episode and it's the best one of the, I was like, shoot, maybe they should just keep losing every single game. Like selfishly, maybe that's what's best for me and the Pistons pulse. I'm joking. I don't want that to happen, but um, this was a, a lot of fun. Maybe Pistons fans are just sick. Maybe there's, you know, maybe sickos, man. <laughs> it's, it's good. No, sickos in the best way, man. So yeah, sickos in the best way. No, you guys are, you know, you guys are great. You know, you keep me cracking up on, uh, you know, Twitter with just the the memes and finding humor and what's been a very, very, very bleak season so far. And one way or another, the season is going to generate some excitement. It may be in the trade market. It may be this team figuring things out as they get guys back. It could be a variety of things, but yeah, you know. Keep being you guys. We appreciate the support and we enjoy doing this pod. So we are glad to see that even in the worst of times that we still have an audience. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I I would not have been surprised, Amari, if we had 20 people live tonight and all of that. It's This is almost therapeutic. I said it after the last episode. It's almost therapeutic for me to get on here, get to talk about the Pistons with you, all of the comments. Like it, it stayed pretty legit. I appreciated that as well, Amari. Because I feel like everything was truly a conversation between me and you and even everybody watching live. It wasn't just, oh, take your L, here's your receipt, all of that. We had true, genuine conversation. And that's why I'm here. I know that's why you want to do it. Like, we don't need to be calling each other out when this team isn't any good. Like, it's bad enough to watch it without us at each other's throats. I enjoyed the heck out of recording this episode. Yeah, what we all need to do is just, you know, stand in a circle, hold hands with the camp campfire, you know, media fans, team, like everybody, and just sing Kumbaya. And we're going to, we're all going to get through this stretch together. Um, you know, I'm going to close it on the, I'm not going to close it on that note. It's been a lot of losing, you know, since not even just this season, but since March. So all that compiles into, you know, the fan base still being hyper engaged. And we're going to see some stuff this season and one way or another some sparks will fly so we'll see i will go ahead and close this out unless you have any final words no no i've I've said all i've needed to say uh i gotta get to my kids practice so yeah we better close it out all right awesome i will close this out then a big thanks to our audio producer robin chan our editor-in-chief deco avery nichols our executive producer anjanette delgado and our sports editor kirkland crawford and big thanks to wes as always and we will talk to you all later Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.